Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, the podcast. Well, they're back. You've been asking a lot about the group juice that was on a couple years ago. We got a lot of great response. And people go, what happened to them? Well, like everybody, not only in Las Vegas, but around the country, the pandemic stepped in the way and kind of slowed things up. But for Juice, they took a bit of a different direction, and I think it's kind of cool. We're going to talk to them about it. And with us today are a couple of the guitarists. We have Michael Richarduli and Daniel Moss. So let's start with you, Michael. First of all, the band, it's not just you two. You guys have a lot of guys. Uh, kind of tell us the makeup of the band. Hey, Steve. Well, firstly, thanks for having us back. Um, we had a fun time last time. The makeup of the band, yeah, it's uh, we've, we've got seven guys total, and... It's uh, myself, Daniel. The arrangement's pretty much two guitars, three vocalists. Um, one of them also plays electric violin, violin in general, and then um, drums and bass. So, yeah, we've been together for uh, about eight years now, since college. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great deal that you guys have managed, managed to stay together, and you've actually, uh, this pandemic offered you some opportunities to really get together as a group and kind of take this thing in a different direction. You know, the last time you were on, you were, you were kind of hot. You were on the Today Show. Everything was on a roll. The only problem people had that called up, they got everything right. They loved your group, except they thought you were a boy band. I go, that is not a boy band. <laughs> you guys are not. It might be a bunch of guys, but it's not a boy band. So talk a little, if you would, about what happened when the pandemic hit? I mean, was there a, a, a kind of a fear like, well, maybe this is it. Maybe we just can't go on further because, you know, you kind of, like I see, you get on a roll and it's difficult to take a pause like that. It was definitely a little scary. We've been, so we met eight years ago. <clears throat> that was at the very beginning of college. So we've been, you know, for the last four years since we've been out of college, we've been nationally touring and that's been kind of our, you know, lifeline um, for those, for those years. And then obviously when the pandemic hit, that was, that was taken away. So it was definitely a shift from, you know, here's what we were doing for, you know, four to six months out of the year that's now all of a sudden gone. So we kind of had to reassess and, um, you know, we turned inwards a bit and we wrote our new project and we did a bunch of music videos. We were kind of living in different Airbnbs is kind of sporadic, you know, we'd spend two months here and two months there. And so each of those Airbnbs kind of took part of that process, whether it was, you know, when we were creating the music, um, which was last summer or, you know, finalizing it, which was winter. And then in the spring doing all these music videos to kind of bring the whole thing together and, um, create the visual aspects that, that are, that are very essential to boy story. Um, 
yeah, there are a lot of different facets, but that's that's kind of where we turned, you know, because we yeah. didn't, have, didn't have shows. We did some virtual shows and stuff like that, but that's, you know, pretty limited, and that's also, you know, it doesn't take up right. months like touring normally did, so. Well, but being in the uh, Airbnb, did you get the idea that, uh, you know what, there's not going to be any interruptions or any things we don't expect? We can really hunker down and do things that maybe you wouldn't have had the opportunity to do if there wasn't a pandemic. So did that kind of help in that regard, at least your creativity? We've talked about this now in hindsight for for a little bit now, but um, initially we, you know, we were obviously super bummed. I remember we were just getting ready to go play South by Southwest in Austin. That was one of our first shows on the tour. And it felt like a, a huge... Um, just roadblock for us that came out of nowhere. We were like, well, we got all this momentum. Um, it's come to a halt now. And so in the moment, obviously it was, it was a huge bummer, but it's, it was a little bit of a blessing in disguise because we, like you're saying, we really did get to utilize that time. We came up with a plan. We, we were all at home for um, a, yeah. a little while, I'd say like four months. And then in the summer, we kind of decided it was safe to meet up again isolated like dan was saying in some airbnbs we were doing like two months stints at a time at individual ones and we really just it was the the longest we've been away from each other in eight years because we did go to college with each other and we've lived with each other um since graduating too so everyone kind of there's this creative resurgence Everyone had been working on their own ideas, and also we were just stoked to make music again together. Well, you guys come up with this new project. It's called Boy Story, and you got a couple of singles out already about that. I'm kind of interested in that whole process. Daniel, tell us, was there a particular type of sound? Did you want to change the sound you had from before? Uh, it, it sounds to me like, uh, I love your music, but it sounds like this is a little more developed. It's a little more... I won't use the word mature, but it's really more involved, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think a lot of the changes that happen in our music um, happen pretty naturally. I don't think it's so much that, you know, we kind of sit down and we're like, all right, what's exactly like the sonic landscape of what we want to do? Because that stuff's pretty abstract. Um, so I guess, you know, some of it kind of happens naturally, just being apart from each other. Like Michael was saying, we all, you know, are developing our own ideas at home be able recording rigs and stuff like that so i think when we came back you know we were lucky enough to have a place where we could play live um like in our in our house um so you know that was and had always been a, a big part of our sound and but i think also you know like we weren't we weren't going to a studio because a lot of them were closed for covid and also you know we weren't making making a ton of money because touring touring was gone so a lot of, I think, our sound was influenced by the fact that we were producing ourselves um, with the help of a good buddy of ours, Dean Gray, um, in our house. So, you know, it gave us a little more time to spend with the individual recordings of the songs than opposed to when we used to be, you know, going into the studio. Yeah. Um, and I think it also kind of forced a bit of understanding as to how to produce, you know, ourselves and... Um, all that. So, you know, that influences it a lot, too, just kind of what you have at your disposal. Like, your your, your music's going to change as, as your life changes. 
Um, but yeah, I don't, you know, I don't think we were like, this is the exact thing we want to do. I think we came together and we had some ideas and, you know, we kind of started to see like, okay, this is, this is kind of where collectively our mind is at. And this is starting to sound cohesive. And then, and then as the process goes along, you have those conversations as to like, okay, you know, what fits together, what feels like a, a, an energy that's captured, you know, a little differently within these songs, but it's still trying to really get at one singular I love the concept of not being in the studio because it strikes me as because you don't have the it's expensive to be in the studio and you're limited and you got to be in and out and get exactly what you want there here you could kind of uh, and you had the time too uh, maybe you didn't want that but you had more time is it a situation mm-hmm. where you can kind of really you're polishing it and polishing it and making subtle changes and so forth and really develop the song more than you could under the uh previous situation yeah i i think i think in a lot of ways yes um it is because you know a lot of times we'd always make demos when we were going into the studio but i think what was different was when we were you know in that time we would have been making demos normally we were working on stuff recording stuff that was actually going to make it into the final track you know it wasn't Mm -hmm. like we were like doing scratch guitars and then when we go into the studio, it's like, okay, well now we're going to redo everything because we have all this equipment and we want it to sound like this and whatever. And so the stuff that gets on the final track is actually just from a 12 hour, 24 hour segment. Um, I think you're exactly right. That, that, that is exactly what happened and in, in that it, you know, we were, we were working on those final tracks for a long time and we had the ability to, you know, go back and, you know, sit with it for a while, go back and say, eh, actually maybe not this, let's try this. Like, mess around with tones, mess around with, you know, digital effects and all that type of stuff. So, yeah. Well, Michael, seven guys, uh, you know, it's hard enough with bands of three and four people. With seven guys, uh, do you get a lot of almost more input than you can use? Uh, You know, how how do you guys settle stuff like that? I mean, that's a big group. Yeah. No, it is. I think it's funny because, you know, we were all in bands growing up and stuff and, like, groups. But nothing super serious. And so this is kind of, at least for me, I don't want to speak for everyone else. I think everyone else feels this way to an extent, but this is kind of like all that I know, the, the workflow, the way things work, the, um, just the, the synergy between all the guys. So yeah, it is more involved sometimes dealing with, um, the tricky one. I think the biggest one that we always run into is what are we going to record? because there's so many ideas. It's just such an influx of creative energy at all times that in great ideas that um, we just don't know what to record next. So, and eventually stuff kind of falls into place and this song fits with this song and hey, this is uh, kind of the same color and same energy, although maybe it's different, but in a good way. So there's a lot of that going on, but um, people always ask that question and there's kind of an assumed negative connotation that comes with it, but there's this really positive thing in addition, which is, you know, there's just, it's so stimulating and there's so much good. You're just pulling from this well of, of pure, you know, creative energy that really just kind of pushes everyone else and,
guys have been friends for a while now. Uh, is that is there been any uh, difficulties with that, or you guys just had the kind of relationship where if a problem gets up, you can easily solve it and so forth? Because you know sometimes that can be an issue in the world of music, and that's always a hard part for groups. Right. I think something that does really go a long way is we genuinely do care about each other like deeply. Um, we met as friends in college, so it's not like we were, it's not like someone put out an ad on Craigslist and right. said, Hey, I'm looking for a guitarist or looking for a singer. So there's a, at the, at the bedrock of it, there's a, there's a genuine brotherhood. And, um, that's really important because that's kind of at the root of the band and how we create. And even when we get into it, obviously there's, you know, stuff that, that comes up creatively or, Hey, like, you know, I'm hearing it this way you're hearing it this way, you know, what, what are we going to do? But, you know, at the end of the day, it's, we, we work through that stuff pretty, pretty well, I'd say. We're playing your music through the breaks in and out, but in addition to the great audio, you also have a, a video component, which nowadays is very important. I mean, it, it's, it's part of the whole package. And I know, Daniel, you uh, helped direct that. One of them cracked me up because I, I read somewhere where you said that, you got the idea of uh, this kind of this uh, comedy and terror. You'd been watching a lot of Scooby Doo cartoons. Uh, how did that? Yeah. How did that affect you? I mean, is that kind? Is that kind of a thing? Because everybody that talks about when you say Scooby Doo, we all know what that means. Yeah, I, I mean, we wanted you know. So the song, the song that it goes along with this girlfriend song, um, which it it some it just kind of felt like. We didn't want to have, you know, a music video that was just like the guy and the girl. You know, you got the girlfriend. Like the song is is pretty directly about a, a romantic relationship. There's there's no getting around that. Um, but yeah, it, it just felt more interesting to have and more fun, honestly, to just have kind of its own unique idea. Um, and you know, we'd had this barn um, in our. Uh, in Orleans and Cape Cod, we had this barn that we just set up pretty much from scratch. The set, it was, I mean, the barn was a concrete floor and a bunch of two by fours and drywall that was all ripped up. Um, so we started from nothing and we just kind of built this boy story set and, um, you know, bought the carpet and painted and all that type of stuff. Um, but yeah, the, the idea of it to fit with the kind of satirical, nature of the song you know the song i think comes from kind of a very manic over the top sort of ridiculous narratives or a a ridiculous narrator it just felt kind of fitting the energy of it obviously it's not exactly it doesn't follow plot wise but the energy of it and the you know goofy satiricalness of it seemed to just mesh very well with what the song was trying to do well, Daniel, that's a great point because, you know, with videos, they're not supposed to be, at least with the ones I've seen that have been interesting, most of them are not just a, a plot line of uh, explaining a song out to somebody. You're just trying to, is it trying to set up a feeling so when people are hearing the song, they can just enjoy it and it's not meant to tell a story as much as it is just to encapsulate this kind of fun and feeling of the song itself? Yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's always supposed to, I guess what you really don't want is, you know, you write the song and then you make the music video and then, you know, from the listener's perspective, you listen to the song first and then you watch the video and you're like, oh, okay, I, yeah, that that makes sense, you know, 
I, I didn't get anything more from that, or it was just kind of a reiteration visually what I already knew auditorily so so yeah having having that right you want it to be in the same energy you want it to make sense you want it to you know kind of build out a different part of that story um and obviously there's you know smaller metaphorical comparisons between the two plot wise um but you know having those not take the foreground and having just the energy of of the whole thing um, really guide and, and be able to take that song and, and put it in a new light, I think is what, you know, has always made me interested in music videos. Those are, those are the music videos that are interesting to me because it makes sense, even though the plots aren't, aren't the same and it, it builds on it and it gives you something new. Well, in the 21st century world of music, obviously, you, you got to have good music. You got that check. You got the video side of it. And now, what may be the most important part of the whole thing is the touring. And I know you uh, had a tour planned, and obviously 2020 rolled around. And But fortunately, we're done with that, and it's pretty exciting. Michael, as I'm looking at some of these places, you guys are literally going up and down both coasts uh, starting out this month in uh, the Midwest and in the East Coast. Is this kind of an exciting thing for you? I, know, I mean, you've done plenty of touring, but I would imagine rolling out this, this whole new project, it's really important to, to get this out so people can enjoy it because uh, touring is a way uh, that you really build up uh, your legacy as, as a group. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, the, the tour side of it is something that, you know, we, we have been really been super in touch with now for going on two years so it's excited one of the first about times it that do you I, like it? i do it's you know what I, I love there's so many aspects of tour that i love there's also the, these nerves that come with it especially <laughs> being that we've we've been uh we've been around the country a good amount at this point um in 2019 we had a really extensive tour and uh you know, sometimes um, you're you're playing shows and you're playing shows places you've never been to before, and and uh, not as many people show up, and it can get you down. But but the majority of the shows aren't like that, and are you know so fun to play, and it's it's just great playing the music to people that have been spending so much time with it. So this one I think is going to be unique because we've got this whole new batch of songs that this is the biggest project we've ever released, which, you know, we were kind of gunning for from the start, but it'll be so great to go on the road with, uh, you know, a, a whole project essentially behind us that we can play to people. And, uh, you know, as a musician too, you do get tired of the songs. There's no hiding behind that. You do get tired of, of playing the same songs every night. And we, we were, playing um the yeah. similar style we changed it up at night tonight but the similar style set for a long time so it would be really good bit, you know 10 or so new songs in the do in the guys, nether do you so, guys yeah. do any covers at all as it's part of uh, your set or is it strictly i, I mean in this case is it going to strictly be the new material or do you want to mix in some of that old stuff how, how, how do you put together uh kind of the, uh, the 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 touring list you know because i know that's really important too, because you kind of want to set up a kind of a mood throughout the night. No, totally. It, it'll be, it'll be a lot of, so of course the new stuff and then mix with some of the old stuff too. 
um, and especially the songs that you know people know and love and are familiar with um, and have seen live before. So yeah, it'll be a mix. Um, and then as far as covers go, it, you know, we do, we do a few covers. Um, we usually try and fit at least one in a set and yeah, it changes, it changes from, from time to time. We, we were doing a few years back, we were doing a song called Bellyache by Billie Eilish. Um, we just recently started covering a song called Kyoto by Phoebe Bridgers, who we love. And, um, that's on YouTube. There's a video that's on YouTube. But we also uh, ended up playing a wedding recently for, for a good friend of ours, and he's a Jersey guy. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I would love you guys to play Born to Run. Wow. The boss. So, <laughs> yeah. So, we, so we've been playing Born to Run lately, which is, which is a fun one. Yeah, there's a lot going on in this, so that's yeah. really cool. We're going to tell people where they can... Find out where you're touring so they can see you and uh, listen to your music. But before we do, one last thing about this, Daniel. As I look at the list of places, uh, some of these uh, I'm not familiar with on the East Coast. But I look at the places you're playing on the West, which you come here right at the beginning of 2022. Talk about the Troubadour in Los Angeles, uh, San Francisco brick and mortar, and up and down the coast. And we're hoping to get you out to Vegas. It has to be exciting for you to play in places where uh, some of the people that have played in there are at the biggest level. These are these are places that kind of show that you've made it, right? I mean, you know, to be able to play in mm-hmm. some of these facilities. Yeah, it's it's very exciting. I mean, we have, especially going out to the West Coast, you know, we've really only done a full West Coast tour once, and that was, you know, two years ago or so, that tour that Michael was talking about a minute ago. Um so, yeah, it, I think, you know, going out west is something really special for us because, you know, we've been on the East Coast. We went to school in Boston, and we've been based out here. We're based in, in Brooklyn, New York right now. So being able to be so far from home and still have a ton of people come out, I, I think, means the world. Obviously, you know, Boston and New York, and those are places that we've been able to play for a long time. But the fact that we can, you know, go out and still feel the support in Los Angeles and right. Like at venues that were, uh, you know, ecstatic to be able to be able to play at and hopefully sell out and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, it's, it's tremendously exciting. You know, it makes tour a lot more fun. We always plan that West coast tour in the middle of the winter. So we don't have to deal with the, <laughs> with the Northeast winters, but, um, for many reasons, yeah, it's, it's awesome, and we're, you know, it's been a very long time, so we're really looking forward to it. Well, we're looking forward to having you out here, and of course, in the on the East Coast too. So let's go through all this, guys. First of all, the tour. Uh, where can people find out where you're going to be? Because I know you're starting out in Cincinnati, Ohio, and from there, it's the East Coast, and then in 2022, the West Coast. And uh, I know these will be adding, but how can people find out where they can go and how can they get tickets? So probably can, the easiest way to get tickets is our website, which is it's timeforjuice.com. Um, you can find the whole schedule and all the ticket links will be on that website. And then also, you know, on social media, uh, Juice Band is our Instagram. And we have Facebook and all that. So a- any of those will have all the tour announcements, and then they'll just link you to to, uh, to a ticket link. So. And you said time for yeah, you should juice. also check out our. Everything on Instagram is up to date too, and so we post there pretty frequently. Um, and our Instagram username is uh, at band, so there's a good amount of 
content there, videos, uh, tour stuff, all the info you need there too. And you got some good stuff on uh, YouTube as well, right? Because I know people, you know, they hear about this. They go, that sounds good. They've listened to some of the music. They like that. They they really should see you. Uh, we can find you easily enough on YouTube, can't we? Yep. Yes. Yeah. YouTube's the same deal. Uh, and that's Juice Band, I believe, on YouTube. We're all uh, as much of videos up there. And obviously our, our latest music video series, uh, Crisis in Parallel, is out there. Daniel was talking about uh, girlfriend song, and there's three videos up so far, and there's episode three is uh, in the works too. So yeah. Well, I think Brooklyn Magazine said it best when they uh, described you guys as from vintage soul to indie rock to contemporary hip hop. I mean that says it all, and I love music that can kind of go over several genres. So. Guys, we're looking forward to it. And as soon as you find out where you're going to be in Las Vegas, you get back with us and we'll have you on again and make sure people are aware of that as well. Awesome. Thanks so much, Steve. Yeah, Thanks for great. having us. What if every dollar you invested into your training program turned into $30 of revenue? What if your learning program was so engaging that your employees looked forward to annual trainings? And what if you could monitor the success and effectiveness of your curriculum with quantifiable metrics? Go to training.epsilonxr.com. E-learning has made each of these scenarios possible, utilizing tools such as virtual and augmented reality, simulations, and online instructor-led training provides a safe environment for employees to learn at their own pace. Go to training.epsilonxr.com. Here at Epsilon XR, we have 50 years of experience in creating powerful and effective training programs. We combine proven training methods with cutting-edge technology to create immersive training experiences. Are you ready to take your training program to the next level? Go to training.epsilonxr.com. Training.epsilonxr.com.